Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. We are in week number two of our series, God Encounters, where we're looking at some biblical accounts of people in the Bible who had such powerful encounters with God that it it not only just changed their life, it changed the trajectory of their lives. Last week, we looked at Jacob's story and how he spent most of his life trying to live to his namesake, which was trickster, deceiver, until one day he had an encounter with God. And the Bible tells us this encounter turned into a wrestling match where Jacob determined that he was not going to let go of the Lord until he blessed him. God honored that determination and tenacity and changed his name from trickster or deceiver to triumphant with God, from Jacob to Israel. And we talked about how God can and will do the same for us if we'll show that same tenacity to, to not just lean into God, but to, to grab a hold of him and determine to hold on until he blesses us and even changes us. But please understand, once God changes us, that, that doesn't mean he's finished with us. He does make our lives better and makes us better at life. That's true. But that's not his end game. In fact, as we're going to see in this morning story, that's just the beginning of this, this great adventure of serving God. Because once God changes us, he calls us. He calls us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Moses' story. Now, most of you, if you even if you didn't grow up in the church, have probably heard of Moses. Uh, people from my generation will forevermore picture Moses looking like Charlton Heston uh, from Cecil B. DeMille's 1956 classic, The Ten Commandments. Uh, you young pups uh, might picture Moses looking like Christian Bale in uh, the movie Exodus, Gods and Kings. And while both are good movies, and I'm not sure how accurate Hollywood accurate fidelity to the Bible, Hollywood made those movies, but both of them do a pretty good job of summarizing Moses' life. But be warned, if you're going to watch the Ten Commandments, you better have a big bowl of popcorn because that puppy's about four hours long or something like that, I think. But because of how things played out early in his life, uh, Moses would have pretty, he was a pretty messed up dude. He really was. The guy had an identity crisis. Uh, he didn't know if he was an Egyptian or a Hebrew but we'll get to that later. When Moses was born, the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh, the Egyptian leader at this time, felt threatened by the growing number of Hebrew children, so he ordered that all newborn males be put to death. Now, Moses' mother, you know, couldn't bear to turn him over to the Egyptian authorities and end up with that fate, so she hid his birth as long as she could. Finally, in a desperate attempt to spare his life, she placed him in a basket and then put him in the Nile River among some some reeds, hoping to hide him, and then also praying that God would somehow, some way, protect her little baby boy. And God did answer her prayers as Moses was discovered in the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter, who, in a turn of events only God could orchestrate, ended up giving Moses to a Hebrew woman who, unbeknownst to her, was Moses' mother. So Moses' mother ended up getting to nurse him and nurture him until he got a little bit older, at which time Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son, her own child, which meant, think about this, which meant that Pharaoh ended up being Moses' adopted grandfather. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So because he grew up in the palace, 
Moses got the finest Egyptian education. He wore the finest Egyptian clothes. He ate the finest Egyptian food. He slept in the finest Egyptian beds, which meant growing up, Moses learned to talk like an Egyptian and he learned to... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, wait for it, wait for it. You guys jumped the gun out. He learned to walk like an Egyptian too. So from all outward appearances, Moses had it made. The only problem was Moses wasn't an Egyptian. He wasn't an Egyptian. And deep inside in his heart, he knew that. And so Moses, not unlike Jacob, grew up with his own wrestling, his own inner strife, his own identity crisis. Until one day that inner turmoil erupted in an act of violence as Moses killed an Egyptian soldier. Now, in fairness, he was simply intervening when he saw a fellow Hebrew being unfairly abused by an Egyptian soldier. Nevertheless, as a result of that act, Moses became a fugitive and spent the next 40 years, think about that, 40 years on the backside of the Sinai Desert working as a shepherd. When you read Moses' story, it's apparent that he always had some sense of of God's call on his life. It just took him a while to determine exactly and dial in what that call looked like. But the lesson Moses eventually learned, and this is our big idea this morning for this morning's message, the big idea, the lesson he learned is our life is more fulfilling and more productive when we decide to do God's will, God's way. And so as we look at Moses' encounter with God this morning, it's my prayer that it will help you recognize that not only that God has a plan for your life, but also that he will equip you and empower you to do that will. So as we take a look at this God encounter Moses had, I want to first underscore two important takeaways regarding the will of God or the call of God on our lives. And then we'll end up looking at four areas of insecurity that Moses struggled with and then God's answer for each of those. But before we look at those, I want us to first recognize these two very important points regarding God's call on our life. First, I want us to see that Moses' encounter with God teaches us that your entire life has been leading up to God's call. Your entire life. I know, I know, you might, how how can that happen? We're gonna look at that. Your entire life has been leading up to God's call. As you look at the life of Moses, you can see how God prepared him from the very beginning. As you follow the story, you see how God was working behind the scenes in Moses' life all along the way. We, we see God's uh, hand at work in his life at, at his birth. We talked about that, how God intervened and protected him, ended up letting his mom nurture him for the first few years, years and then was adopted into Pharaoh's family. Uh, we see God's uh, hand at work in Moses' life through his education. Uh, Stephen in the book of Acts tells us that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. That phrase, powerful, I point that out because as we're we're gonna see, that's one of the excuses that Moses gave to God as to why he wasn't qualified to do his will, but we'll talk more about that later. So so we see the hand of God at work in Moses' life as an infant. We we see uh, God's hand at work in Moses' life as an adolescent and growing up as a young man. And then even later on in life, we see God's hand at work in Moses' life during his ambitious years when he tried to rescue his people from Egypt his way. And that's when he ended up killing an Egyptian and having to run for his life. And that event, again, forced Moses to flee to, to Midian and live in God's witness protection program for the next 40 years. But even God even used that time in the desert to re-educate him. But from Moses' perspective, think about this. I'm sure it must have seemed as if God had forgotten about him, right? He goes from Pharaoh's palace to a shepherd out on the backside of the desert. So I'm sure from Moses' perspective, it's probably like, man, I guess God just forgot about me. Or, you know, I, I guess, I, guess I, I, I failed, you know? Uh, I'm one of those coulda, woulda, shouldas. But God didn't forget about Moses and he didn't forget about the plight of his people. 
God used that time in the wilderness to work on Moses' identity crisis and prepare him to do God's will. So, so Moses had this divine God encounter on top of Mount Horeb where God gets his attention through a burning bush and tells him he needs to go back to Egypt. So here is God encounter number two, Moses' story. In Exodus 3, verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, this is great, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Seriously, that's his response. You see the bush on fire. I will now go over and see this strange sight. You know, I've always been intrigued by Moses' response here. He sees a bush on fire, but it's not burning up. And his response is, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. See, this actually confirms two things about us guys that you gals already knew. Number one, we all have a little bit of pyromania in us. We like setting things on fire, right? And second, we all have a little redneck in us. Because the best way to get a guy's attention is to either set something on fire or blow it up, right? And we'll come running. All you single gals, if you want to get a guy's attention, go set something on fire and stand next to it. It worked for Lauren and Seth. They're engaged now, right? By the way, congrats on your engagement, guys. <laughs> Verse four, when the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Got a question for you. What's it gonna take for God to get your attention? What is the Lord gonna have to set on fire and from your life to get your attention? That's a fair question. After getting Moses' attention, God begins to speak to him from this burning bush. Now, we're not told how Moses informed his wife about this encounter he had, but since he was going to be leaving and going back to Egypt, we can, sure, we can be sure that there was a conversation about it. And I've always wondered what that conversation might have looked like. Can you imagine Moses coming home that evening after having that encounter with God and through the burning bush? And he comes home and his wife Zipporah's there greeting him. Hey, honey, how'd your day go? It was good. It was good, honey. I actually, uh, I actually met with God. Really? Yeah, and, and he told me his plan for, for my life. Wow. That, that, that's amazing, Moses. So, so what did God tell you? Well, he said that I'm supposed to go back to Egypt. Really, Moses? Back to Egypt? I mean, back to the place where you had the worst day of your life? That, that's, what God, that's what God told you? Do you really think going back to Egypt is, is, is the best idea, Moses? I do, honey, because that's what, that's what God told me to do. Okay. Okay, Moses, that's what God. Well, how, how did God speak to you, honey? Tell, tell me how this played out. Uh, was it in a dream? Was it in a vision? Uh, no, um, it, was, it was from a bush. A bush that was on fire. A what? A bush. A bush. It, it was burning, but it's like it wasn't burning up. It was like it, he spoke to me from a, a, a non-burning, burning bush. Really? Moses, are you sure you talked to the bush or did you smoke the bush? <laughs> the next few verses 
5 to 9, God tells Moses how he's heard the cries of his people and is going to set them free from Egyptian bondage after 430 years. Then in verse 10, Moses finds out how God is going to accomplish this. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God tells Moses, you're the man. You're the man. I'm going to use you to accomplish this liberation plan. In the same way, listen, dear ones, in the same way that God used the circumstances and events of Moses' life to help him discover his call, so also can he orchestrate the events and circumstances of your life as points of preparation for what he's called you to do. See, there's a reason you were born into the family that you were born. Sometimes I'm sure you wondered, right? There's a reason you grew up in the geographic area in which you grew up. There's a reason you're alive right now and living in this generation. All the events of your life, good and bad, are part of the process of preparation for the call of God on your life. See, from our perspective, when we're going through some of the things that we're going through, I know it doesn't seem possible. But if we'll allow him, listen, if we'll allow him, God has a way of leveraging even the negative events of our life, even our mistakes, in a way that will bless us and honor him. Because that's what God does. Maybe you feel like, you know, like your life to this point has been a total failure. Maybe you once had a dream for what you could accomplish, and right now it appears as though you have fallen desperately short of the mark. Maybe something painful happened in your childhood or in your past that's caused you to wonder, why me? Anyone ever prayed one of those why me prayers? Yeah. Why did I have to go through this? Why did this happen to me? Maybe you've made some poor choices that have led you to a place in life where you never thought you'd be. I'm sure when Moses was living in the luxury of Pharaoh's palace, he never envisioned himself tending sheep on the backside of the desert for 40 years. The point being, God can and will use the events of your life, even the mistakes, even the things that are beyond our control in such a way that it will bring him glory. Even right now, today, wherever you're at today, whatever you're going through, God is working on you, training you, even training you. And, and even your most painful, most regrettable experiences can become part of the process of preparation. God has big plans for you, and your entire life has been leading you toward its fulfillment. The second thing that we learn about the call of God on our lives from Moses' encounter with God is God's call is always doable. It's always doable. God wants us to understand that anything that he calls us to do is possible, no matter how monumental it might seem, no matter how challenging, even, even intimidating that God's call might be. Please know it's always doable. It's always doable. He just wants us to obey. The call to Moses was short and sweet. Go back to Egypt. Right? I mean, that was very doable. For, he, he knew where Egypt was. He knew where Egypt was. But for Moses, it, it wasn't that he didn't know how to get to Egypt. It was that he didn't feel qualified to do what God had called him to do. His insecurities caused him to argue with and to question God. Exodus 4 verse 1, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Question, has God ever called you to do something that you didn't feel qualified to do? I think that's probably an experience common to pretty much everyone. You know, I... I don't feel qualified to do what I'm doing right now. This might surprise you, but I've never really been a super confident person in doing what God's called me to do. In fact, now that we're growing and have an amazing live stream, I feel even more unqualified and inadequate. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, I'll be sitting back there at my desk and I'll be kind of going over my notes, praying over the service. 
and I'll get overwhelmed. I said, God, if you love me, just, just kill me now. Just kill me now. And if that doesn't work, rapture, rapture. I'm ready, God. Just take me, take me now. Listen, the call of God will always be bigger than you. Always. Bigger than you, bigger than your talents, bigger than your abilities. That's how you know it's from God. That's how you know it's from God. God can't use an overconfident, cocky person. He wants our initial response to be like Moses' response so he can be our confidence. And that's exactly what he did for Moses. God gave Moses some miracles to encourage him and gave him the confidence he needed to accomplish what he was asking him to do. And each of these steps of confidence was very doable. Verses two and three, the Lord said to him, what is it in your hand? This isn't a shepherd's staff. You'll have to pretend. A friend of mine actually gave me this 25 years ago on my 40th birthday. By God's grace, I haven't had to use it yet. I came over early this morning and I was walking up and Dan Bowden had just got here and, and he, he says, man, Pastor Curtis, I, I didn't know that you had to use a cane now. <laughs> Not sermon prop, sermon prop. So th this is a shepherd's staff. But think about this. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? Moses said, a rod, a shepherd's staff. God says, throw it on the ground. Now, how hard was it to do that? How hard was it to throw that on the ground, right? See, don't, don't, don't start overthinking the call of God. Don't start projecting what might or might not happen. Anything God asks us to do is doable. So, so Moses throws the staff down. It turned into a snake, which is kind of weird, and that's for another sermon. But God was using that miracle to give, give him some confidence and assurance of his call. But, but please note, this is important. The miracle didn't happen until after Moses obeyed. The Moses came after his obedience. The, the miracle came after Moses' obedience when he dropped the staff. And it's going to be the same with us. The miracle came after Moses threw the staff down. D look, don't confuse your part and God's part. God told Moses, drop the staff. That's it. That's all he asked him to do. Everyone sitting in here this morning, as well as all of us, all of you watching on, online from our eCampus church, we can all drop a stick. How hard is it to drop a stick? Every single one of us can do that. Later, God told Moses to, to stick his hand inside of his shirt or his cloak. And when he pulled it out, there was leprosy on it. And then he put it back in and pulled it out and it was healed. The point being, that, that's a motion anyone can do. That's not hard to do, right? Anyone can do that. Then later, he said, go down to the, to the Nile River and, 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 and get some water and a pitcher and then pour it out. How hard is it? Everyone does a pouring action. How hard is it to do that? God never asked us to do the supernatural. He said, you just do the natural. Let me take care of the supernatural. Amen? That's doable. Luke 1.37, nothing is impossible with God. When it comes to the call of God and doing God's will, you're not doing God's will for God. You're doing God's will with God, and he wants you to know that because he'll step into our natural act of obedience and make something supernatural happen. So God's call is doable. God's call on Moses' life was easy enough. He was just supposed to go. The problem was where he was going. God basically called Moses to go back to the land from which he had fled as a fugitive 40 years before to see his adopted grandfather who had actually tried to kill him the last time he saw him. And this brought him face to face with his insecurities and feelings of inadequacy. 
So I want to conclude Moses' story by looking at how God helped Moses through this identity crisis and gave him confidence and assurance to follow the call of God on his life. Moses asked God four identity-defining questions in verses 11 and 12. And God's response to each of those questions show us, or shows us how to see ourselves the way that God sees us. When God calls Moses, his first response is, who am I? Who am I? Moses didn't even know who he was. Am I an Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew? Am I a shepherd? Am I a leader? I don't even know who I am, God. How could you use someone who doesn't even know who they are for sure? Hebrews 3.11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Literal translation, you sure you got the right guy, God? Are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, do you know that I've got a felony murder record? You know that, don't you, God? I don't think you want to use someone with my past leading your people. But notice God's response here in verse 12 of Hebrews 3. And God said, I will be with you. In other words, this isn't about you, Moses. This isn't about you. This is about me and what I've called you to do. Don't worry about you. I can deal with you, Moses. See, this is the part of Moses' story that kind of parallels Jacob's encounter with God. Remember last week when after the Lord asked Jacob his name, then Jacob turns around and asks the Lord what his name was. And remember the Lord's, the Lord's response there? So you don't need to know my name. This, this, you know, this is about changing you, right? That's kind of what's taking place here in, in Moses' God encounter as well. God appears to Moses and tells him, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses tells God, who am I to do something like that, God? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? God says, this isn't about you, Moses. In other words, when Moses responded to God's question about who he was, God responded about who he was. When Moses said, who am I? God said, let me tell you about me. Then he continues, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, when you go, they're not going to see you. They're going to see me, Moses. They're not going to be seeing you. They're going to see me. So listen, if you get nothing else out of this message this morning, get this. Quit defining yourself by your past, by your mistakes, and start defining yourself by what Jesus did to wash you clean of those past mistakes. The Apostle Paul, who was also a murderer, by the way, right? What is, what is it with God picking all these murderers to be his leaders anyway? Paul understood this. Listen to what he said once in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not long after Sue and I got engaged, we made a trip up to, we were living in Dallas, we made a trip up to Lawrence so she could meet my family. And one of the days that we were there, I, I went fishing with an old friend of mine who I'd run around with years before, before surrendering my life to Christ. He wasn't a, a Christian, but he was kind of curious about what had taken place in my life over the previous couple of years. So, so he came by to pick me up and, and I introduced him to Sue and we talked for a few minutes before heading out to go fishing. And when we drove off, you know, he was telling me how nice and sweet Sue was. And we got around the corner from my dad's house and he slowed down and he pulled over, put the car in park and he turned to me and he said, he said, I got to ask you something. I said, sure, what? He said, very serious. He said, does she know what you used to do? Well, I didn't, you know, give her the play by play, you know, but, uh, I said, uh, well, I mean, somewhat. But I said, you know what? That just proves there a God. there's a God. That just proves there. A... If I can land someone like her, 
that proves there's a God. See, Sue and I are one of those couples that when people see us walking down the street hand in hand, they look at her, smoking hot wine. And then they look at me and they're like, that guy knows there's a God. Right? <laughs> Say this with me. I am who I am by the grace of God. One more time. I am who I am by the grace of God. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you've confessed it, then it's under the blood. Moses' first point of insecurity was with himself, understanding who he was. Who am I? His second point of inadequacy and insecurity was in, in understanding who his God was. Who are you? That's the second question. Who are you? You know, I've been doing this a long time, and one thing I've discovered is people who struggle with inadequacy and insecurity about who they are, they also struggle with understanding who God is. They do. See, if you struggle with insecurity and self-identity, I guarantee you part of the struggle is because you're still trying to figure out and settle who your God is. Exodus 3.13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So Moses is like, well, if they ask who sent me, I mean, I don't even know your name. Verse 14, God said to Moses, and this should, this should forevermore settle the argument as to if God has a sense of humor or not, right? If they ask my name, just tell them, I am that I am. I am who I am. That ought to blow their minds. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What kind of answer is that anyway? Really? I am who I am. See, th this was God's way of telling Moses, look, I don't have just one name. You can't confine me or define me with a single name. In other words, I am so much bigger than any attempt man might try to make to label me. Some of you might be struggling with an identity crisis or self-confidence right now. That's because you haven't really settled in your mind who your God is. Consequently, your God's not big enough. Some of you have opted for a safe mode of Christianity. So you've become comfortable serving God on your terms. You know, just give me enough Christianity to keep me from going to hell but I don't want to be one of those radical Christian Jesus freaks. They're just, they're just uh, too weird. So give me the fire, give me, I'll take the fire insurance plan, God. The problem with that approach to God is it forces you to settle for a relationship with God that is so shallow and so far beneath what he has for you. Jeremy Foster said one time, the secret to solving your problems is to live for something bigger than yourself. Some of you, honestly, some of you need to go all in with God, if for no other reason, for your self-confidence. Your confidence level will rise with your faith. That's how it works. You need to get to know the God of the Bible, the God of miracles. You need to get to know the God who can move mountains for you, the God who can raise the dead, because he still does those today, folks. He does, he does miracles today. We serve a miracle-working God, but you'll never experience that miracle power living on the sidelines of Christianity. You need to take your toe out of the shallow end and jump into the deep end of Christianity. And if you're a skeptic, I get it. I understand the pushback. I mean, let's be honest. Some of the miracles in the Bible, eee, I don't know. Reminds me of the story of the 10-year-old little girl who wrote a paper for her class on the story of Jonah and the whale. After reading it to her teacher, who was an atheist, teacher called her up and said, well, honey, you do realize it's impossible for someone to live inside the belly of a well, don't you? 
little girl said, well, you know, um, I'm not really sure about that, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah if that was really true and how he was able to do that. And the teacher said, well, what if, what if God's not there? He said, well, what if Jonah isn't there? He said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> I came across this great quote in my study this past week, and I wanted to share it. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it's not hard. I am here. My name is I am. Moses asked God, who should I tell him sent me? God's reply, you tell him I am sent you. That's all Moses needed to know. That, that was God's way of telling Moses to just live in the present, not to worry about what happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. You just live in the present right now. You tell them I am is in charge of this thing. Jeremiah 32, 17, all Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. People who have God encounters can confidently and boldly proclaim, there's nothing too difficult for my God. I am what I am by the grace of God. There's nothing too difficult for my God. Then after all that, all that assurance from God says, you tell him, I am sent you. There's nothing too difficult for me, which leads us to the next point of inadequacy and insecurity in Moses' response. But what if they, Exodus 4 verse 1, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Seriously? Come on, Moses. You're afraid of what they're going to think or say. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know what's interesting? Even, jury, even during Jesus' earthly ministry, there were some religious leaders. This is, this is fascinating. There were some religious leaders who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, you know, they, they witnessed the miracles, right? And so they believed that he was the son of God. Yeah, watch this. In John 14, or excuse me, John 12, 42 and 43. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now watch this next statement. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. I'm telling you, dear ones, you will continue to struggle with insecurity, inadequacy, struggle with your self-identity as long as you continue to let someone who didn't die for you, who didn't save you, tell you who you are. The Apostle Paul addressed this head on once in this powerful statement in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I am who I am by the grace of God. There's nothing too difficult for my God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Some of you, I really do believe some of you are ready to take that next step, to take your toe out of the shallow end and go all in with God. You come here on Sunday mornings and they strike up the worship and Sam and April start singing your favorite worship song. And part of you wants to lift your hands. But then you look down and you give one of those half Why? I mean, as great as those people are sitting down the aisle from me, and they are great. You know how I know they're great? Because they're coming to church here. Right? But as great as those people are, they didn't die for you. They didn't save you. Why are you letting them define your worship of God? 
Who am I? Who are you? What if they, these are questions Moses asked God. And then his last statement of insecurity was, which is another statement that we all make at times, I have never. Exodus 4, 10 to 12, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses tells God, I can't even speak well, Lord. And you're wanting me to go lead your people out of Egypt. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. See, we disqualify ourselves based solely on the fact that we've never done that before. God moves on your heart about perhaps maybe, you know, starting to attend a growth group or maybe hosting a growth group. And your response is, I can't do that, God. I'm not one of them radical Christians, right? I've never done anything like that before. I don't think I can do that. And you're right. And that's exactly what makes you the best person to do that in God's eyes. Besides, in spite of what you might think about what you can or can't do, according to the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, in Philippians 4.13, Paul says, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So I am what I am by the grace of God. There's nothing too difficult for my God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These are the things God will do when we quit dipping our toe in the shallow end of Christianity and just abandon ourselves to him and dive into the deep end. Maybe God set something on fire in your life before he got your attention, told you what he wanted you to do, but you pushed back because of your insecurities, inadequacies. Who am I, God? Not anymore. From now on, your your response is, I am what I am by the grace of God. Because you never settled in your mind who your God really is, you asked, who are you? Not anymore. From now on, your response is, there's nothing too difficult for my God. Because of your fear of man, you asked, what if they? Not anymore. From now on, your response is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of your lack of experience, you said, I've never done that before, God. And from now on, your answer is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you need to start looking for your identity in Christ. Quit quit letting the world define who you are. And when you do, listen, when you do, I promise you, those feelings of insecurity and adequacy will be gone. Then you can be more bold in your Bible reading and your praying, more bold even in your giving, more bold in your witnessing and sharing your faith, more, more bold in your serving. Because that's what God has called you to do. He didn't change it just so you can go to heaven. He changed it because he's got a call on your life. Let me pray for you. Lord, all those who are struggling with insecurity and inadequacy, those, those who have let others and perhaps some of their past define who they are, God, I pray that you would give them the faith to begin trusting you, looking to you and trusting you, the one, the one who died for them and saved them. And as they do, give them courage to, to quit standing on the sidelines of Christianity and, and go all in with you. As they encounter you, do, do for them what you did for Moses. Give them the assurance they need to trust you completely. And as they do, as they look to you, the God who loves them, the God who died for them, and the God who invites them to call him Heavenly Father, as they look to you, take away all those feelings of fear, inadequacy, insecurity. That's you. It's time to go all in with God today.
there's anyone here or anyone watching from our e-campus church, you're not in a right relationship with the Lord. And by right relationship, I'm talking about just being surrendered totally and completely to him and his word. I mean, maybe you were at one time, but you're not now. Either way, it doesn't matter how you got to where you're at today. What matters is what you do from this day forward. If you'd like to make things right with God, you'd be willing to pray this prayer to say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you died for me and God raised you from the dead for me. You are my God. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You're the one who saves me. And today, I choose to live my life for you. Give my life to you and live my life for you. Forgive me. Change me, Jesus. And help me begin living your plan for my life. In Jesus' name, amen.